Well, hey, friends. Good morning. So glad to be with you. My name is Larry. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, I know today some of you guys are getting ready for the Super Bowl and you're getting a bunch of food ready. And uh, I just want to tell you some other exciting news or things that we're looking forward to uh, as we get started today. And that is that on February 21st, we're going to go back to how we uh, were experiencing some in-person gatherings uh, as in when we were in red, when we were in that red tier. So where we have uh, tables throughout the room and we have about a space for about 100 people to come in at three different services. We're going to go back to a Thursday night service. So that'll be on the 19th of February. And then on Sunday the 21st at both locations, we'll be doing services. So we're going to give you some more information about that coming in the next couple weeks for those of you who feel ready and comfortable and for those of you who are not ready yet, totally get it. And uh, I want you to be comfortable. I want all of us to be safe. This is the way that we're loving others. And so we're still going to have the same online experience. We're still going to have the same online groups. We're going to still have the same online classes. We're going to still have the same opportunities for you to connect the way that you've been connecting. Or maybe you didn't realize we had all those ways of connecting while we're in this virtual space. And so we would love for you to engage in that. We think it's so important and it's so powerful what community does, which is why so many of us have been yearning for this for this past year. Incredible that it's been almost one year. So I'm looking forward to seeing some of your faces in a safe way in a couple weeks, um, both at the Benicia campus and the San Francisco campus. So there's that. Um, today we are wrapping up this series that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. Um, and we started the year off with um, You're Not the Boss of Me. And we're talking specifically about emotions that can overtake us and can control us and be the boss of us at times. And what we've realized is that we've just got a better boss. We've got a better boss in Jesus and who he is and what he does for us. And so we've been going through this scripture in Matthew over the last uh, few weeks. It says this, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. These are your emotions. The, the things that we're saying, these things can actually defile you. You know, when you're, you're saying, I didn't mean to say that, or whoops, that's not how I meant it, or it just comes out of nowhere, and it's like that shocking thing when you're just rattled and shaken up, right? Those are the things that are coming from the heart, and it can mess you up. It can mess up relationships with you and with God and with others as we let that stuff eat at us. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. These emotions, when we let them well up and take control, and then life happens, and we get shaken up, whatever is inside, then eventually we'll just come out. So we've had a conversation about our emotions. We, we got to talk for a little bit about pride and anger and fear, and today, the topic that I want to talk to you about is something that I have never had anyone show up in my office in 20 years of ministry. I don't think I've heard of any other of my friends that are in ministry have someone show up and, and divulge this as a problem in their life, coming and sitting down saying, I really need help with this. And that topic specifically that we're going to wrap this all up with today is greed. Greed. I've never had anyone show up and say, I have a greed problem, but now hear me this, I'm not going to talk about money today. 
I'm not going to mention money. We're not going to talk about money. A lot of people just equate greed with money. What I want to dig into is the emotional side of greed. And we're going to use actually the definition of greed. If you Google this, it's an intense and selfish desire for something. An intense and selfish desire for something, which usually equates to money, power, food, dominance, to make someone feel less than. It's this intense, selfish desire to serve self, and this is greed. And so I want to focus today on the emotions. When that emotion wells up in us, the damage it can do, and maybe some proper steps that we can take to make sure that we're in control of greed as it wells up and to not let it be the boss of us. Because when it is, it does tremendous damage to those we love, and it really separates us in a relationship with God as well. So I'm going to go through a little bit of a, a story that's in the New Testament. It's found in John chapter 8. This story, though, I'll preface it with this. This story is a story that most all theologians agree that was not actually in the original scriptures. So there was the original scriptures that were found and seen in multiple copies of this, and it wasn't until much, 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 much later that this story and this little piece of scripture was introduced. So you might say, well, then why are we talking about it? Well, it's in the Bible, right? The other piece of it is, is it's a story that I think that we can take a lot of lesson from, but at the same time, I want to recognize what it is and where it came from and the part it potentially plays in the, whole t- the totality of that book. So for those of you who uh, are a little bit more learned in that area, you, you might already be saying like, ah, oh, this story's you know, not even really in there or in a lot of them. There's actually a handful of scriptures that you can go through in the New Testament. And if you use like free apps like YouVersion or uh, other online tools, it'll actually show you. It'll be like parenthetically or bracketed. And then there's subnotes that'll tell you kind of what people think or when this came in or didn't come in. Another example is like the end of Mark, if you look in there. So some of you, I just teased your interest. But now to the story. All right. So John 8 says this. Early in the morning, he, he is Jesus, that's who we're talking about, came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and, sa- and he sat down and he taught them. So it was all the people. So all the people around there came because they wanted to hear. When he showed up, when Jesus showed up in the temple to give a teaching, everyone showed up. And then it says that he sat down and taught them, which was actually showing authority. You would sit down and people would sit in front of you as this authoritative spot to learn from them. You can go to the next one. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst... They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? What should we do? This, they said, to test him, to test Jesus, that they might have some charge to bring against him, against Jesus, and then Jesus did this, he bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. I hope somebody's okay. There was a big crash in here. And as they continued to ask him, they stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw the stone at her. 
And once more, he bent down and then began to doodle and write on the ground again. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing right there before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. So the emotions of this scene right now is what I want to discuss when it comes to greed and, and how we can interact with that, uh, maybe how we can feel it. So I'm going to walk back through and just kind of paint this picture in a little bit more of a narrative way so we can try to understand what Jesus was trying to display through the story that we're told in the Bible. So Jesus has come into a church service, and many people gathered around, and then he began to teach in a room that's a lot like this, or a lot like the room maybe that you're in right now, but there's people that are focused on this teaching. And there was a group of people, I call them uh, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees or the scribes, I call them like the Malkoffs, right? They're the people who are kind of in charge and they make everything's okay, they do some of the teaching, they enforce the rules, right? And really it frustrates lots of people because they're, you know, big and bad and tough and they've got a fake badge, right? <laughs> so Jesus is there and this group of people now have set up this, this thing to entrap him or to put him on the spot in front of everyone. And so they barge in and they bring this woman in who's caught in the act of adultery. Now we could dig into what caught in the act of adultery meant or what she was wearing or literally like what was going on, but they had caught her in this act, brought her in front of everyone. So this is, this is a shocking moment right now. This would like shock everyone because there's a, suddenly a ruckus and now a woman who's maybe like screaming or frustrated or being dragged up. And then Jesus is interrupted and they're saying, pay attention to this. Focus only to this right now. You tell us what the scripture says because we know what the scripture says in Moses' law that says that if anyone's caught in this, that we're to stone her, so we're gonna kill her in front of everyone. That's what we should do. So now what do you say that we do? Now notice Jesus' posture. This is a scene that is moving so fast. They're ca he's casually probably teaching and, and telling people and uh, discussing things, and then suddenly there's this ruckus barged in, and it's just boom, 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 boom. So many things that are happening. Everyone's attention is distracted around and now, there's this focus on this woman that's, you know, whether they know her or they don't know her in the community, and they're asking Jesus, what do you say? What do you say? Tell us what to do. We've got our rocks ready. What are we going to do? Now, Jesus took this really fast situation, and we can see from his posture when emotions were rearing up, this selfish desire that we see in greed, this intense selfish desire to do something to someone else for our own reasoning, to entrap someone else, to make power over them, Jesus slows down and he starts to color on the ground. <laughs> he bends back down and he doodles. Now, there's a lot of people that, you know, discuss, like, what was he writing? Or, and, you know, this is what he probably said. He probably had this long thing and he was talking, you know, nonsense to them and bringing up all of their sins. And here's the deal. If we were supposed to know what he was doodling or writing on the ground, it would have told us. We would know. 
So we, what we want to see right here is this posture. Now, what I can equate this to is like the uh, adult coloring book movement, right? <laughs> Everyone's in the adult coloring and, and your kids or someone or life comes around you and they're like, mom, 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 right? And I'm, I'm saying, I don't have a coloring book, so I'm going to use my wife as an example, right? <laughs> mom, mom, mom. And she can just be like, oh, I'm going to calm down and color, right? So Jesus has now slowed down the situation and he's doodling, right? So they continue to lean into that. And so he pauses and stops and brings up a question and asks, which of you haven't sinned? Now, one of the things that happened in that culture in that time is that if you caught someone in a sin and you wanted to bring it in front of people to be judged, the person who caught them had to actually catch them in the act, right? So stealing something, they had to catch them stealing. And they could not actually struggle or have dealt with that sin themselves. So if they're going to bring a thief in front of people, they can't have ever had a history of thieving or have an issue with thieving themselves, right? So Jesus is in front of them saying, how many of you have just not ever made a mistake? How many of you have not ever sinned? You be the first to make this judgment and to throw this rock. And then we see that they slowly walk away from the oldest to the youngest as he then goes back to coloring on the ground and then has a conversation with her and says, who's left? Who's condemned you? No one, she says. Neither do I condemn you. And then he says this really powerful thing that we see all throughout his reconciliation of his ministry, which is now go and sin no more. Change, repent, shift. So what's Jesus trying to display in this picture? I think that if we want greed to not be the boss of us, that to put greed in its place, we must let go of swift judgment. We have to let go of swift judgment. Because I can often find, you can often find yourself as one of those people holding onto those rocks. You're like, come on, let's do it. We saw what they did wrong, and everyone get your rock. Let's go ahead and pounce on them, and let's attack them. Attack them, right? But he was doodling in the dirt. He slowed down. He didn't do this swift judgment movement, right? And I think one of the reputations that we have as followers of Jesus is that we are so quick to judge. We are so quick to judge each other and people that we don't even know, right? Look at social media right now. Look at it in this past year as we've dealt with all kinds of injustices and political lenses in this pandemic that's turning into an epidemic. We are unloading on people. I had a, a conversation with a dear friend of mine just this last week and talked about how uh, he was out of Facebook for the last month and a half. And he was loving it and enjoying it because he had to stop for his soul right? Because what he was seeing was his friends he was getting frustrated with. And there wasn't even a place to have a conversation. And then he was watching his friends attack their friends and friends against each other. And it's just destroying each other because everyone was so quick, so swift to judge. And we do this with other people. But look at Jesus. Uh, he, He embodies this idea of slowing down right here. He stopped and took a breath and 
did some coloring. It reminds me of this scripture in James, which was uh, the writer of this was actually Jesus' half-brother who actually said, you're my Lord, right? This is powerful. He writes it right in the beginning of his letter. He says in James 1.19, be quick to listen. Be slow to speak, which isn't fast. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. How many times have you felt yourself with this intense, selfish desire to judge someone else, right, to make you feel better, and to go fast, and to go hard without understanding all the story. I think the other thing that we need to see if we want greed not to be the boss of us is that to put greed in its place, we must let go of being right. (laughs) This is a dagger. We must let go of being right. The reason that we are so quick to judge and so swift to judge is really this. Why would we wait to judge someone else when we already know we're right, right? That's how we act. I'm right, so I'm going to judge you. I'm going to come hard. I'm going to go after it. I'm not going to slow down because I'm right. The thing is, is that we see in this story right here is Jesus never looked at them and told these Pharisees and scribes that they were wrong because they were right in what they were saying and what they were taught and what they knew. But the way in which they did it, the way in which they quickly judged, the way in which they quickly wanted to be right to entrap someone, this intense, selfish desire, right, to serve themselves and to tear down others is wrong. We can be so right about something, but we can be so wrong in the way we handled it because we can be greedy, our emotions, to be right. You can be right according to the letter of the law, but you can completely miss the spirit of it. And we see that Jesus summarized hundreds of laws into the greatest commandment. We see that he summarized hundreds of laws into the greatest commandment, which is to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. And in Mark, he added strength with all of you, right? And so we, we wander around, we then scoop that up and say, okay, I'm gonna love God with all of me. And I wonder if, if we as believers are known as being carriers of the truth, which is that God is love, that he has a tremendous amount and Uh, an amount that we can't even grasp when it comes to grace in our life and judgment and being right. That we are the ambassadors of truth because we have discovered the truth, those of us who are followers of Jesus. But the thing that can happen is we can become greedy in situations when we are shaken up. The things of our heart can start to come out when we are quick to speak. Specifically, when we are quick to speak because we know the truth. Because we have the truth. Because we have the truth, we actually believe that we can speak to anyone without hesitation. You met that person? (laughs) Have you been that person? That because you have the truth, you believe you can speak to anyone about anything without hesitation. 
The Bible teaches us that we are to speak truth in love. Now, we wrestle this because, you know, we're like, you got to tell them the truth, and it's hard truth, but you got to do it in a loving way. And loving, we learn from Jesus, is like a normal tone of voice. Loving in the way of Jesus is actually looking into the deeper issues of why that's taking place in their life and then coming alongside of them and saying, what's causing this that we keep getting here to this difficult place where you're being judged by others and you're constantly being come at, right? Truth and love. And here's the deal, friends. If you don't love, you shouldn't speak. You shouldn't type. You shouldn't text if it's not in love. I mean, really, how dare we speak the truth to people that we don't love? How much have we seen that this last year? Where greed has come up, this selfish desire that I'm right, that I'm gonna judge you without knowing the whole backstory that I'm not gonna do my homework to understand what you've dealt with, the way that people look at you, what your work situation's like, what your home situation is like. Because all they will hear when we do that and speak truth without love about how you're not good enough, about how you should get your stuff together is just judgment and law. And that's not what we saw Jesus do. Jesus never spoke truth to anyone that he didn't love because he loves all. And if we're going to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, then we have to do that in love. If you can't love someone and you don't feel affection for them or empathy towards them or care or concern, please don't be greedy to knock them down and make yourself feel better and speak to them. He spoke strong. You know, one of the things would be like, oh, well, Jesus, you know, he wasn't like really just laying it out there. Sometimes he just had to tell him what's up. And there's moments of passion, but it's always surrounded by care. There's a story of a rich young ruler who went to Jesus and said, you know, I'm, I, these are the commandments and I've been following the commandments. What do I have to do to get into the kingdom of God? And essentially, Jesus looked at him and it says that he loved him and then he cared for him and then he spoke truth. And says that your possessions, everything that you're actually working for, aren't what this life is all about. That you can't take it with you. That it's actually easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for someone to get all of these things and think they're going to take it into eternity. And he left sad. But it was truth. And it was in love because he said, this is what we need to do and I'll walk alongside of you. James and John, we see this uh, story where James and John, they've, the disciples have gone ahead and let people know where Jesus is coming. And so it's the hottest ticket. They're selling space out, right? Arenas are sold out or, you know, they're broadcasting on TV. That's what we're learning right now. <laughs> Nothing's sold out. So he's like the thing in town. And so he gets to Samaria in this place and no one shows up. And James and John are angry. And this is what they say. When the disciples, when his disciples, James and John, saw that no one had shown up for Jesus. This is the truth. This is God. They said, Lord, do you want us to command fire 
to come down from heaven and consume them? What is happening? Right? These are guys that are like followers of Jesus. They have watched what he's done, and all of a sudden they're like, let's bring the thunder, right? Let's bring fire and kill them all. Like, what happened to these people? They have learned what love looks like in action through Jesus, right? And suddenly get there. So I will tell you this, a little grace for you. We're not all perfect. We're following Jesus, right? We're figuring it out. And they're figuring it out and they say something absurd and not obnoxious. Let's command fire to come down from heaven and consume them because this is the truth. But he turned and rebuked them and said, you're not getting it. You don't know what spirit you are of. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy the lives of human beings, but to save them. Then they went on to another village. Check this out. The Son of Man has not come to destroy the lives of human beings, but to save them. Friends, how many lives are we destroying because of our intense, selfish desire to judge someone else, to be right, which makes distance from them and you, and ultimately from God, because you are an ambassador of hope. You are an ambassador of love. You are a child of God, and so that's why we got to check our emotions of greed. But they sit there and they say, but we've got the truth. We've got something to say. We have feelings about this is the way we're supposed to be and this is the way we're supposed to act. And we wonder why people say, watch out for those Christians. Watch out for those like people who do the church thing. I don't do church. I ain't going to do church. Why? Because those people are ruthless. They are ruthless. Be why? Because they will tell you the truth. You will walk into that place and they will strip you down naked and say, you're worse than me. Thank God you showed up because now I feel better. Because I can just see the stuff on you. I'm going to be swift to judge. I'm going to be right in what I do. I have an intense desire for power or to be better, right? That emotion that's so gross that comes out of us. I think to wrap this up, I, wanna, I wanted to say that to put greed in its place so that it's not the boss of you, we must let go of condemnation. Here's the, here's the deal, friends. Our hearts condemn us, and so we project our hearts condemn us. Many of you do this. I do the same thing. When we, when we sit there and we just go over the sins or the issues of our past that are condemning us, where we're like, what did I do? I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I acted like that. I can't believe I thought like that, right? And so we're condemned and we're constantly condemning ourselves. Now, side note, we'll talk about this in a second. There's no more condemnation, so we need to stop that. But when we're doing that, that causes us to project on other people. Because I feel perpetually guilty for my error and my wrong and my sin, I'm now going to find someone who I perceive to be worse than me. This is what we do because of my own condemnation. The greediness of me says, I have this intense selfish desire to have power over someone else, over another person. 
to make me do what? Feel better. I will judge them privately, eternally, internally, publicly, and I'll do that because it will make me, it will make you feel better. You must let go of condemnation towards other and start accepting the condemnation in your own heart and have grace and go color a little bit. (laughs) Get a hold of that emotion that's welling up in you that'll do damage to others. And so they continue to ask him. He stood up from doodling and he said to them, let him, let him who's without sin be the first to throw the stone at her. It says in uh, 1 John, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. If you feel your condemnation, instead of hurting and throwing it on other people, God is greater than that. He knows that. Give it back to him. Because friends, he's already taken it. And he knows everything that you've done. So we see in this story how Jesus then stood up and he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. No one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go. And here's the kicker. And from now on, sin no more. Change. Shift. Let Jesus be a bigger boss of you, a better boss of you. In Romans, uh, the um, writer of Romans, Paul, who was so swift to judge, he was all about being right and condemning other people and what he felt like was on behalf of God. You see, Paul used to be Saul and he was actually like a slayer of Christians in this movement of the way because he felt like he was the one that was coming alongside of God and he was swift to judge what was going on. He was the right one. He understood. He knew what God wanted and what was going on, right? And so therefore he condemned and actually killed and moved along and did this. Then later, Paul met Jesus (laughs) and it changed everything. And so this broken, messed up guy learned what it looks like to not experience swift judgment, to not be held accountable for his condemnation 
because Jesus had died and rose again. And he writes this beautifully in Romans 8. There is therefore now that because of Jesus' death and specifically his resurrection, his blood that was shed on the cross for you, there is therefore, because of that, now, like right now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So for those of you who are hanging on to those different emotions, for those of you who are feeling condemned right now and overwhelmed, there is therefore now grace. There is therefore now mercy. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Believe it, friends. You've got a better boss. You've got a better boss in Jesus. And so maybe you're here with us today and you've never experienced what it looks like to not be condemned for your eternity. I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to be right because we've discovered who Jesus is. And like I said, like we experienced in communion as a community, he shed his blood for you. He sacrificed his body for you. And in just a little bit after we respond in worship, you're gonna have an opportunity for a next step of what it looks like to experience no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now real quick, pop out your phones. You can take a picture of this. Here's kind of your next step and some conversations to have. You can ask, where is there a place that you're commonly swift to judge? Be real right here. Where is there a place that you're commonly swift to judge other people or things or situations? What friends have you lost because of your need to be right? That you need to make that right? And who can you share your condemnation with? What? What does that even mean? It's what's your story? Why don't you sit down with someone and say, this is, this is my story. This is my testimony. This is who Jesus is in my life. Why I, I have hope. Why I understand real love. Why I understand grace in a way that I never understood it before. Sit down with somebody this week and share it. For now, friends, I just want to pray as we prepare our hearts, as we walk in and respond to who God is as our king, as a provider of peace, as the boss of our lives. God, we love you. We thank you for your sacrifice, for your care, your love, for the way that you teach us just to take a deep breath. God, in this moment, maybe we'd be quick to listen to your voice and slow to speak not reply, but just what would you have for us? God, and take away the anger and the condemnation and the hurt that we have right now. I ask that we would receive that fully. We love you. We love you. I love you. I love you. Let's worship.